welcome to episode 75 of Friends and Film, a podcast that this movies and theatrical releases. On this episode, we'll cover the Black Panther trailer, Wonder Woman sequel, a discussion on the Dark Universe, and more after we review The Mummy. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes at Friends of Film. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by a man who is, you know, still alive, Josh Straley. Well, that is a that's a astute observation, Cooper, because... If not, I would not be here speaking to you at this moment. Yes. Um, but you know, it's probably not going to be alive, at least in my head, this whole dark universe thing. Yeah. I, think it's, I think it's dying in front of our eyes, and yeah. it's just barely begun. It was uh, dead on arrival, as some would say. Uh, and that's what we are going to review this week, the kickoff of the dark universe, The Mummy, starring Tom Cruise, directed by Alex Kurtzman. Um, we will probably get into spoilers eventually on this uh once we do there'll be a timestamp in the description so you can skip spoilers and get ahead to the news because as i said in the intro for the episode there's some pretty cool stuff including a really awesome black panther trailer uh that we're going to talk about and praise a lot so uh before we do that we are going to review the mummy it's josh josh it's your week to start what did you think yeah okay so first of all i have just this wow just wow to say and not in a good way my second line is this mummy movie should have stayed under wraps because <laughs> we I have pegged Michael Bay as a summer blockbuster explosions, cheap thrills type of director with his Transformers movies. Uh, but uh, he, Michael Bay looks like a incredible cinematic uh, you know mastermind compared to what this mummy was. Um I have so many questions about the universe that it tried to set up that I forgot to even, you know, experience the plot that was happening on screen. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, like we get three, we get three prologues or monologues to open the movie before we even finally find our way to um, Tom Cruise and Jack Johnson uh, out there in the Iraqi. It's in Iraq, I think, correct? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, and they're like Nathan Drake, Explorer, Antiquity Dealers, but they can also call in airstrikes, which just, uh, you know, the whole thing just had me bewildered. But um, by the time the movie's plot, I say this loosely, gets going, um, it's it's just uh, a flim-flam of what's going on. Uh, it's never really established, at least clearly what the deal is with tom cruise and the, our mummy sophie batella she's starting to invade his body but also he has to ward off the evil but she's also running around hunting him down and by the end of the movie um i was just totally lost and it's not to mention russell crowe's part in the movie and he's he's good he, but russell crowe almost looked like he was bored too and that's that's not a good sign. Um, he's playing uh, Dr. Henry Jekyll, which uh, uh, elements of his character I did think were unique and kind of cool. Um, but, uh, I mean, going forward, I, I can't give this movie any more than a one ticket stub out of five. Whoa. <laughs> and that is the lowest uh, rating I think I've ever given a film. I think so, yeah. Uh, and I have to, I can say that with a clear conscience because there's so many things about this film that just, 
it it's hard to even call it like you know a movie <laughs> it's just it almost seems like it should have been a book release to set up whatever universal is trying to do with their dark universe yeah uh, i i'm not stoked about it uh but maybe you're maybe you think it was better maybe i'm being uh, too harsh on alex kirkman i think it's a little better than uh, <laughs> what you gave it but i mean wow I'm just kind of taken back by your one star rating or one it's, ticket star rating that is because I mean, well, you gave like Huntsman winter's war and like independence. Day resurgence better. I believe than this, it doesn't compare movies to whatever, but and I will say because those movies at least had at least independence day had a sense of how ridiculous it was. At some point they realized where they were with the film. This movie tries to carry like it's not campy it's not overly dramatic um you know because jack johnson's in there as some comedic relief for a while and it's like okay which way are we going here but independence day went full campy you know cgi blowout uh, huntsman tried to be dramatic in some ways but this this did not hit any of the notes it tried to set up and i I was not thrilled about putting money down for it. Yeah, no, I, but, okay. I get you it. build this up now. Uh, build- yeah. I mean, the thing for me with this movie was I saw it with my, my dad and my, my younger sister. And by the, like my sister kept asking me questions like, what is happening? I was like, I, I don't really know. And then mm-hmm. we kind of left the theater and my dad was like, well, what'd you think? And I was like, it, it happened. That's <laughs> that was my consensus right after seeing it. And mm-hmm. the more I've just kind of sat on this movie, it's been a couple of days now, and it's a movie that has definitely soured on me over time, uh, which is never a good thing for a movie. And the words that just keeps popping in my mind is just generic. Like it just seems just like a paint by numbers movie, and I think that's kind of what you're going to get when you have a first time director, not just like, Oh, this is his first time directing a big blockbuster. This is Alex Kurtzman's first director movie. Like he's never directed a movie before. And then he jumps in with this after, and you know, he also wrote the script. He wrote the script for uh, amazing Spider-Man two, bunch of other things like shouldn't have had a lot of confidence in this to begin with. Uh, and it was one just based on the trailers that at least for me, I was like, okay, this could be just, you know, dumb, fun, a good summer action flick with Tom Cruise. And it just never got there ever. Like not even close. Tom Cruise, I thought was just, he like, he didn't add anything to the movie. It felt like this was one of the first times I'd see Tom Cruise just kind of phone it in. Normally he's a guy that gives it all, uh, whatever the case may be, even like in Jack Reacher 2, he was trying his best to make that movie work. This one, it didn't even feel like Tom Cruise for most of it, which I guess could be a good thing because I didn't look at you know Nick Morton as Tom Cruise, but then I was looking at Nick Morton and saying, why aren't you more like Tom Cruise? Uh, because that's what we all kind of expected to see as an audience. And so from your lead not working, it's really going to be hard to make the rest of your movie work unless you have just a stellar plot and this one just doesn't i'm not even really sure what the plot is outside of okay tom cruise finds this you know sarcophagus of the mummy that was you know tried to take over egypt a long time ago on accident Mm -hmm. somehow he is the chosen one and now he is going to try to defeat them and you know it's like exposition 
action scene, exposition, action scene. That's like the whole two hours of the movie. There's never really any plot. It's just kind of events happening on screen that you're just kind of watching. Um, if there was one good part of the movie, um, outside of, you know, it looks, it looks fine. It looks like a big budget movie. There wasn't like bad CGI. In fact, I really liked the transformation scenes of Sophia Botella's mummy when she is taking life from others, turning them into zombies for whatever reason. And, uh, her, like her limbs breaking and, you know, the flesh growing back on her. I thought all that stuff looked really good. I liked Sophia Botella, uh, in that lead, in that lead villain role. Um, but I also like Jake Johnson for the first 10 minutes um, before something else happens to his character. And then he's just kind of useless. Like that's, yeah. you can kind of say the same thing about a lot of the mm-hmm. other side characters, like um, uh, the female lead, uh, Annabelle, uh, Annabella Wallace, uh, I believe is the actress who plays her. Uh, and her character's name is Jenny Housley, I believe. Uh, yeah. She just, yep she was useless. You know, like there's so many points in the movie where she could have like pushed the plot forward or helped them along in some regard. And instead she's just relegated to just being there and yelling at Tom Cruise saying, Nick, 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 do this, do this, do this. And he never does any of it. Uh, it just didn't make any sense why she was there outside of, Oh, well she's the connection to prodigium. Yeah, well, that and to be a throwaway love interest, too, Um, you know, and and that's why, you know, there's so like that in and of itself, you know, would have made would have soured me a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know, on a movie. But that's how blockbusters typically roll. But there was, like you said, nothing else to drive that movie forward. And then, like you mentioned, Sophie Batella, too, who I think was fantastic, um, you know, and and completely unrecognizable in her star trek beyond role like you know that was like personality and character and all sorts of that and i thought we we'd get a when she was announced as the mummy i thought we would get something a little more more sympathetic to her but no she um i mean the origin story of her is like you know lustful for power all that jazz and then once she's entombed that's it Mm -hmm. uh there's just weird flash flashbacks but you know uh visions with tom cruise's head and you know it's an actress who you know i i thought i think you know could be like you know a, a blockbuster star eventually uh or if not now was relegated to just being really weird on screen with almost no purpose and mm-hmm. you know I, I i didn't dig that yeah and like those visions in you know nick's head the whole movie it made that first you know i don't know five minute opening of russell crowe randomly narrating the origin of the mummy completely mm-hmm. useless because they keep retelling it over and over and over and you're just like i didn't need that and as you know as a viewer when that you know monologue started from crow and you see the whole origin i was like why is this the way you open this movie it just seemed very odd and it just kind of set off you know his sour taste in my mouth the whole rest of the way um like i said you know the action's really generic. The story was almost non-existent. The jokes—they try to be funny a lot in this movie, and I didn't laugh. I don't think a single time. Um, scares were predictable because they're either mm-hmm. you know are super foreshadowed, or they were shown in the trailers and stuff. So that didn't work. And I thought maybe we this could be a, a scarier, you know, big budget movie, and it, it, it wasn't that at all. Russell Crowe 
he was so almost out of place as Dr. Jekyll. It felt like he was in a different movie with him being so over the top and uh, weird. It felt like he was just there just to set up the dark universe. And at the end of the day, I was not interested <laughs> in all that stuff he tried to set up. So it didn't work for me, um, mm-hmm. which is why I'm ultimately going to give it uh, two ticket stubs out of five. Uh, not quite as low as you. Uh, definitely not a good movie or one that I'd recommend to anybody. Yeah, I, I would go so far to say is no, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't even $1 rent it on Redbox. Oh, no. Unless, I, un- unless I, we see the you know, dark universe take off from here and you need to go back and visit it. Yeah. I mean, but, that's the only way whew. I'll rewatch it again is if like, you know, down the road, because the way this movie ends, it sets up something for one of the characters very heavily. We won't spoil it right now, but mm-hmm. it just like, okay, am I going to have to rewatch this to get clues of, you know, the rest of the universe, what was in prodigium and all this stuff. Like, I don't want to rewatch this movie because it just felt mindless. It felt like when you made the Michael Bay comparison, at least Michael Bay has some flash, some style. You know, he has, you know, good looking shots. He has, you know, cool action scenes. Even if they are super CG heavy, they're at least somewhat fun to watch. And this just had none of that flavor. And he can get heart right too. I mean, um, 13 hours, if it had anything, it definitely had a ton of spirit. Or at least, you know, it was a really good attempt at trying to draft spirit into a films. But this this was as lifeless as, you know, this undead mummy, which, well, I guess technically means it does have life. Yeah. But I don't know. <laughs> so let's uh, let's move into spoilers here. Uh, talk about the mummy, dark universe, etc. Um, the thing that was really odd to me from a, you know, a quote unquote plot perspective was this whole idea of okay, well, they have the dagger uh, of set, I think mm-hmm. is yep. what it was. Yep. And then on that dagger, there was this like power stone that like Ruby yeah. did powered the dagger or whatever. I don't really know. And, you know, this dagger and the stone were separated early on uh, when Sophia Batella's character initially tried to bring set to life and, you know, let this curse loose and everything. And then... They're like, okay, well, you know, she has the dagger, but she doesn't have the stone. Let's break the stone, break the stone, break the curse. I don't think that's how it would work, right? Like, they didn't ultimately go down this path, thankfully. And it ended with Nick just stabbing himself with it and being possessed with set from here on out, I would assume, I guess. But yeah, it doesn't make sense to me that even if they did, you know, smash the stone it ultimately wouldn't have undone anything. It would have just left, it just would have made that ritual unable to finish. So the mummy, Sophie Bedell's character would have still been able to mess with Tom Cruise and he would ultimately still be her chosen one, be affected by her, but not have eternal life and all that other stuff. Yeah. That's what, that's kind of what I thought. Um, So I don't know what the rationale was. It was almost like, sort of um horror horror movie uh ideas or rationale mm-hmm. or you know like logic that's what i was looking for it's like okay let's just do this dumb thing and it's like well no if that you if you have the power i mean 
then you can wield it and then try to take her down with it like you're whatnot like mm-hmm. even that following that logic would have made more sense than oh let's just don't break the only thing that you know has the quote-unquote potential to um stop the mummy and it's just like oh geez okay right and then once he's possessed with set and that's who he is from here on out he is only basically like nick's good inner self is what is keeping set locked away and letting him be in control but there's the potential that set could eventually take over nick's body and then be the bad guy which yeah like nick's not a good person he was stealing everything and he's just you know looking out for himself so the whole for him to basically like well i mean at least i'm better than you know this like fake god like okay Mm -hmm. i can maybe buy that a little bit but you're also not a great person (laughs) yeah i mean the whole time annabelle wallace's character is telling us like oh, you're, you're not great, you're not a great guy, Nick, or like, you know, things like that, or lecturing him or chastising mm-hmm. him, like, the whole way through. And it's like, oh, but now he's good enough by the end of this movie after having no character development other than, you know, possibly the, the deaths of uh, Jenny or uh, Val, I think. Is that, is that Jack Johnson's character? Val? Um, Sergeant, whatever sure. his name is. Yeah. So, so, I mean, if that's, you know... <laughs> Fine. That's like character development. It's just two people dying, and I was just like, okay, yeah, just from whatever. Just bring them back to life <laughs> at the end. Yeah, which was just like, okay, so now Tom Cruise can bring anybody back to life, but then Jekyll's like, oh well, he can be our greatest ally and help us hunt down monsters. Like, okay, so Tom Cruise is now hunting down the monsters, which is why initially, because they don't really make it clear until like the very, very end that he is now has the powers of the mummy basically mm-hmm. but my first instinct was that he was van helsing um but then when he's like going through his transformation he has like these like teeth that look like wolf almost i was like oh is he gonna be the wolf man what is happening and that whole that transformation scene and him being like you know standoffish with annabella wallace's character just didn't didn't make any sense and left me super confused as i was walking out of the theater because i was yeah. like well, now I've spent all this time doing this. You've set up, I mean, you've kind of set up this universe, but really by the end of the movie, nothing's really changed except for Tom Cruise now has powers that yeah. he may or may not be able to control. And Sophia Batella's mummy is banished. But she's right. still like, she's still in the sarcophagus. Like they make a point to show that in yeah. my mind. So they can bring her back. They can bring her back. Like why else would you put her in that picture they released a couple of weeks ago if they weren't going to you know have a larger role for her moving forward um Mm -hmm. which is is weird yeah i mean there's no question about it like it was you it's almost like once the film got done it, it the the next the studio writers came through and just started cutting up and putting easter eggs in with almost no like where they didn't when they didn't ask themselves the question okay will this actually make sense to viewers today mm-hmm. and not 10 years from now and the, the answer was clearly no i mean you don't have to it doesn't all have to make perfect sense but in the scheme of the movie it, it needs to you know at least flow with the plot but i mean like we established early on many times there was none in this mm-hmm. uh, it's like you said, action, set, piece, exposition, every time. No development of anybody or anything. Yeah, it was a pretty disappointing movie. 
Uh, even though I didn't have the biggest expectations, you know, with Universal announcing the plans for the Dark Universe ahead of time, that made me think that they at least had confidence in this or on the other side, we're super worried about it and we're trying to drum up extra interest by saying, hey, come see this movie because you're going to get six others after it, uh, which isn't the right way to make movies, in my opinion. You'd make a good, mm-hmm. or not a good, you make a great first movie. So that way, if The Mummy was great, I'd be walking out saying, man, I can't wait to see Bride of Frankenstein. I can't wait to see you know, The Mummy 2. I can't wait to see what else is next in this dark universe. Instead, I'm coming out saying... I'm not excited for those of the dark universe. No, me neither. I mean, like, listen, well, let me rephrase this. I'm not excited for this type of dark universe film. I think, is it, it's Bill, Co- um, Bill, Bill Condon, Bill Condon is doing Bride Frankenstein. Yes. Right. And the idea of that is for to have a sympathetic monster. And I think, I mean, Beauty and the Beast was terrific. Mm-hmm. And I think he could turn out a great film. But if it's going to have this prodigium and Tom Cruise and all this other stuff stacked on top of it, uh, you know, I could uh, I'll roll my eyes and probably not even show up and see it, you know, depending yeah. on if we have it re- slated to review. So uh, I, I'm, at the same time, like there's a lot of good stuff there. But if they're going to heap all this other junk on top of it, you know, I, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, I don't I don't either. Um, so. Are I mean we don't sound very enthusiastic about the dark universe in general. Um, is there? I mean, so far we have you know we know Bill Condon's directing Bride of Frankenstein. That's the next movie out in like February of 2019, I think. Then we also know you know Javier Bardem as Frankenstein will probably be in the movie. Uh, Johnny Depp is the Invisible Man. We don't know when he is going to appear next, but you know they've announced you know Creature of the Black. Uh, Lagoon's coming, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Phantom of the Opera. Uh, all these other things are on the way if everything works out smoothly. Uh, is there one project in particular you want more than the others? Is there a casting you want to see happen? Uh, like Angelina Jolie has supposedly been up for Bride of Frankenstein for a very long time. They also mm-hmm. apparently really want The Rock to play Wolfman. Uh, what... What would get you back in, basically? The Bride of Frankenstein with Angelina Jolie, or anyone really, done right, would get me all on board. Um, but like I said earlier, yeah, I, I, what do you do when you heap this prodigium stuff on top of it, yeah. or this you know connected universe f- fabric? Um, the Phantom of the, the Opera, too, yeah, that would be good to, uh, to see back, but, you know, it's anyone's guess at this point. How about you, though? I mean, obviously, I... Bride of Frankenstein to me is really attractive, but are any of these like, do you want to see the rock as Wolfman? I, not, I almost want to tell really. the guy stay away. No. Like I, it's he and Johnny Depp are in too many franchises already where I don't need him to also be in this franchise. He already has, you know, the fast and furious stuff. He has, you know, all of his other various you know, standalone projects. Basically. I don't need him in this. I don't need him as the Wolfman. Uh, also because, you know, the Wolfman is typically somebody who then grows bigger once he transforms into the Wolfman. And The Rock is already like 6'5", so are we going to have like it's a 7-foot tall wolf like running around? Like that seems very odd. Um, I, I would be – I am interested in Bride of Frankenstein still uh, a little bit because it is a different team involved. We'd have Bill Condon. 
Uh, if they have Angela, Angelina Jolie board joined, that would obviously be a big get as well. Um, but she's kind of been dancing around that for a very long time, so I'm not sure if that'll actually happen. Uh, I would also like to see maybe you know Eva Green, uh, Penelope Cruz potentially. I think those mm. could be interesting choices as the Bride of Frankenstein. Uh, and since you know if Javier Bardem is going to be a big part of that, as he likely will be, uh, that seems you know seems like a good you know start to a movie now i'd need them to figure out a plot how it works in the modern day how to you know how to keep it connected kind of but also don't just like shoehorn in a bunch of random stuff so uh other than that creature of the black lagoon could be interesting but i don't really know yeah like the thing about all of these golden age cinema movies was that the characters were sympathetic outside of the mummy. Um, so how they play this out, I mean, are they going to assemble a monster team or Or is it just going to be people in prodigium hunting down monsters? Because either one of those depend, like, you know, in a connected universe doesn't sound that great. No, but you know, if they do like some kind of Ocean's Eleven monster team uh, with Wolfman and the Invisible Man uh, and the creature from the Black Lagoon, Lagoon, sorry, um, uh, you know, uh, maybe if it goes full on campy, uh, you know, ridiculous, mm-hmm. I, I would, I could get my butt in the seat. Yeah, I, I think it really just depends on what Universal's you know long range vision is for this. For me, at least, you know, I don't want to see an, an Avengers style monster team up uh, with you know Tom Cruise leading the helm or Doctor Jekyll or whatever the case is. Like, sure. I don't, I don't need that. Um, so who knows? We'll have to wait and see. See what other announcements are made about this. Um, so that's it for our Mummy review and Dark Universe discussion. We'll be back in a second with the news. We're back with, uh, starting with trailers as always, and sticking with Tom Cruise, we have his latest, or his next movie coming up, American Made, directed by uh, Doug Lyman, his uh, frequent collaborator. It looks super fun. Uh, unlike yeah. unlike the Mummy, you know, it starts the, the trailer with you know Tom Cruise. He is basically just a great you know regular pilot. He's recruited to I think the CIA by Donald Gleason uh, into you know, smuggling drugs across the country. I love <laughs> the plane crash part where he crashes, you know, into a, or he lands the plane in a neighborhood. Coke is covered all over him and he's like paying kids <laughs> off. I don't tell anybody else here. Uh, if it can be that kind of thing, whether it's, you know, similar to blow or just other, you know, drug transport uh, espionage movies, I think it could be pretty fun and hopefully to return to form for Tom Cruise. Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, like as soon as it got going, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then the plane lands in the middle of the neighborhood. He jumps out and the kids are like, what is going on here? And then Cruise, like you said, like face covered with Coke or a white powder. Maybe it's flour or yeah, something, not, you know, no. but yeah, it looks fast, fun and entertaining. Um, yeah. I am getting a little bit tired of these like walls, like Wolf of Wall Street type people, where like mm-hmm. a good guy gets like swept up into things. But th- this is this is the Tom Cruise that you know was all over Top Gun, mm-hmm. or um, I don't know, I can't think of another Tom Cruise movie. That's the one I've ever seen outside of uh, Reacher and 
the mummy this one and today. Mission Impossible and all. That. Okay. But yeah, yeah, but th- that's the guy I think of when I think of Tom Cruise running that plane. Uh, and then there's Don Gleason, who uh, CIA agent, but then he looks like he's going off, the, you know, going off uh, the rails near the end of the trailer uh, because, like, you know, mad with power or with whatever they're doing for the CIA. And I'm like, that's the side of Don Gleason I've not seen before. He's always played these the stern or cautious characters. This is a really good uh, role to see him in. So yeah, I, I'm all about that. Uh, it looks it looks fun. Yeah, uh, we also got our uh, second trailer for Pixar's uh, next film after you know Cars Three uh, is Coco. What's yes, I I'm totally digging it. I'm listen. I love Toy Stories. Like they're further. That's a franchise I'm happy to see continue. But Cars Three, I'll admit, I'm a little bit meh about yeah. um, coming be, because it's like. It feels like they're running out of ideas. But Coco is what Pixar does at its best. It takes something and creates a whole world behind it. And uh, we got a teased look at it with that first trailer. Mm-hmm. But now they really just flushed it out and opened it up. And this, you know, the myth on Cinco de Mayo, or not the myth, but, you know, the, the belief that their ancestors visit them on that day and they're with them at present uh, is cool. And then now we get to see um, this whole world that supposedly the dead live in. And I think it looks really fun. Yeah, I mean, it, look, it looks cute. It looks like, you know, Pixar has, you know, found itself again. Not that it really lost itself, but, you know, it has the heart. Um, it has really good looking animation. Uh, some of the jokes were in there as well. Like my favorite gag was, I think right at the very end of the trailers when the guy's, you know, skeleton jaw literally dropped. Yes. Uh, that was really funny. So just to see that kind of stuff continue without the movie, I think will work. And, mm-hmm. you know, after, you know, just kind of the run of Pixar, you know, even like Disney animation, it's all under one house, basically like they've had a really, they've had a pretty good string of movies the last couple of years. Uh, so, I really don't have any reason to doubt Pixar at this point, and it's mm-hmm. really the Pixar brand that is selling me on this movie more so than like the marketing and the trailers and stuff that I've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, like, like you know, Inside Out was like flushed with character actors that I loved, and if it hadn't been for Amy Poehler in the lead there, I, I may have stayed away. But so, like, you know, when I get to when I get to this, I mean, um, I think believe Miguel, our main lead, is being voiced by Anthony Gonzalez who I don't think has been in anything yet. But there's also so. Gail, uh, Gail Garcia Bernal from Mozart in the Jungle, who's terrific. There's Gabriel Iglesias. There's Benjamin Bratt. There's Renita Victor. So they've got some high-profile people here. And, um, yeah, I like Pixar when they're bringing out new ideas, and that's exactly what this is. Uh, so, yes. So, yes. so excited. Yeah, and uh, something I was super excited for, we got our first mm-hmm. trailer for Black Panther. It came out of the blue uh, basically because everybody thought that the cows were going to get swept. So Disney was kind of forced to debut it during Game 4. Good job for the Cavs for winning and keeping it going a little bit longer. Um, yeah. But <laughs> this trailer was so freaking good. Uh, I mean, not that I ever doubted that it wouldn't be good or anything because – you look at everybody that's involved with Black Panther, whether it's mm-hmm. the Marvel Studios and their record. You look at Ryan Coogler as a director, or just the you know all-star cast they have assembled. And this trailer just 
just kicked my butt in the, like the best way possible because I'm just I'm so so hyped for this movie already. I uh, can't believe we have to wait till February to see it. But whether it's just you know seeing that cast, the look of Wakanda, you know, just kind of the the elaborate colors, uh, the settings, it all looks great. The action, uh, really cool as well. Hoping Kugler uh, has another really awesome uh, one take uh, planned in here somewhere. Because uh, that yeah. one in Creed, I just watched Creed last night again because I was, you know, riding high off this trailer still, and that scene continues to blow my mind. Uh, like two years later, so I I can't wait for this. What did you think of it? Uh, yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I mean, it's, it's it's the movie, like you said. It's not it doesn't come out till February 2018, really far away. Mm-hmm. But uh, all the early looks at it, you know, while the CG isn't totally there yet loving it um the andy circus kind of leads off like talking about wanna oh wakanda sorry and you know how it's been hidden away and i just i love that entire aspect of it and as soon as you see um the black panther t'challa you know up in that tree and then dropping down and then just taking out those um journeymen or whoever's in on that excursion Oh, fantastic. And the, the whole trailer's vibe is mm-hmm. awesome. I mean, it's just, it's fast. It hits these beats that I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then by the time we get to uh, Michael B. Jordan, like flipping out swords or axes or whatever he's doing out there, I, I, I like, you, you know, there's something impressive there. Like you talked about the one shot. I mean, whatever, Ryan Cooker knows how to do a fight. And, you know, him getting to work in that other world now. Uh, I'm so stoked for. And then, like, you know, my notes kind of for this turned into basically just a who's who of, like, who's in the movie. And um, Forrest Whitaker, Lupita Nyong'o, uh, Florence Kem- Kashbuma, I think it's correct? Kashuma. Um, Denai Guerrera, you know, it's just so good. And then I have to ask you, what do you think of the Black Panther theme at the end of the trailer? Uh, you, mean, little- you mean the song that I was playing the whole time? The, the the yeah the, the the song going through the trailer but most importantly as soon as the logo comes up there's these little bells yeah i think uh, that's still off. i think that's still from the tr- the uh, song um which is uh what is it legend has it uh, by run the jewels uh if that's the way they go and they you know they use bells they use more of i hope they do more of like in an authentic score not just like a you know this generic Hollywood score. Like I want it to feel African. I want it to feel like Wakanda. I don't want to have, you know, hear it and think, Oh, that sounds like, you know, this traditional African music. I want it to have its own flavor because it is Wakanda. It's this fictional city. It's super highly technologically advanced. And I want it to feel as different with the sound as it looks, you know, with just the colors and the settings and the cities, uh, the jets and everything else that's happening, uh, around it. So, okay. Yeah, the oh, song, man. The song's okay. super good. Yeah, okay, never mind that. I thought that was kind of part of the, uh, maybe the theme or his kind of, yeah. Because it, like, it, uh, it gave me some, like, it reminded me of, like, the Sugar Hill Gang. Uh, and I was just like, yeah, this is, this has got a great vibe to it. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I could be wrong. I don't think it's technically the theme, but, I mean, it very well could be. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just, yeah, the, the cast, uh, we see, we haven't really seen many of these people before, uh, clearly because they haven't, been introduced to the MCU yet, but we got our first look at Forrest Whitaker, who plays Zuri, who's basically this spiritual leader, and it looks like he is 
helping like T'Challa be, you know, his coronation to becoming the king of Wakanda at that point when he's like stepping into the waters and he has all the people around him. Um, Mm -hmm. We also see, you know, we see Eric Killmonger played by Michael B. Jordan breaking Claw out. Uh, Martin Freeman's obviously there as Everett K. Ross. Uh, You know, we have Denai Guerrera. We have Lupita Nyong'o. We have uh, Angela Bassett. We have Letitia Wright as his younger sister, Shuri, uh, who looks pretty cool and has this, like, really awesome, like, panther gauntlet things on her fists. Um, Plus, we also have... um, uh, Winston Duke as in Baku just everything looks really good has a great cast and if they can you know keep up the momentum uh, I mean there's no reason in my mind why this shouldn't you know be like a just giant movie for Marvel yeah I totally agree and like another thing too is you, did you already mention a riff off of the uh, the costuming because uh, that is super i think it's super good i mean like uh mark like my man martin freeman is like talking about like you know good great outfits and you know textiles like that's the industry yeah. of wakanda and uh, he's clearly you know running protection or running a hedge over claw but i was just like man they they really went out of their way to do this right and i'm so so glad for that yeah, uh, so let's move away from the Black Panther trailer uh, into casting for Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, courtesy of Variety, we know that Black Mirror and Game of Thrones actress Hannah John Kamen has landed a key but unknown role in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, are you familiar with her at all? She's also very mm-hmm. briefly appeared in uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Uh, yeah, she's a Starkiller base uh or I mean, she works on the ship, but yeah, she's a first order officer. Yeah. Uh, but she's also in black mirror, uh, play test, the one done by, uh, Dan Trachenberg, which, which if you don't even like, like black mirror, at least watch that episode. Cause it's one of my favorites, but, uh, she's also going to be in ready player one coming up too, mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg's new movie. So it looks like she's getting ready for a breakout career. So, uh, but any ideas of what she could be in Ant-Man and the Wasp? I'm not familiar with, movie at all i don't really have any ideas i know one popular theory online is that she could be like this other version of yellow jacket which personally i don't want to see because we just saw yellow jacket i don't need a female version of the same villain for the sequel um the one thing that came to my mind immediately is just because we know that uh janet van dyne the original wasp is going to be in the movie in some parts uh i didn't know if maybe she could be janet uh, she's def- she's I think she's 27 now, so the age is very different from what Michael Douglas is. But she mm-hmm. is trapped in like the quantum realm or the microverse or whatever it is. Uh, so to see her, I mean, it, I think it's very possible that she could be trapped in there, not of aged throughout the the 40 years she's been gone or whatever. Uh, to to make that work, I don't know if that's the way they'll go because I feel like they'll probably go higher profile for Janet and make it a relationship they can actually explore between janet and hank but you never mm-hmm. know so but yeah i mean i love that episode of black mirror and you know i didn't instantly recognize her name but when i looked her up afterwards and i saw she was in that and i looked at her face i was like oh yeah and she was really good in it uh alongside uh, kurt russell's son <laughs> yeah so uh yeah that's our first edition for Ammon and the wasp production starts in a couple of weeks i believe so we should be getting more info uh in the weeks to come helen Mirren would make a great 
uh, opposite for Michael Douglas. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah, I could see that potentially. We'll I see. just like Helen Mirren. Yeah. Okay. What's good. next? Uh, next up, we have a rumor for X-Men Dark Phoenix uh, with Jeff Snyder hinting on Meet the Movie Press this week that Angelina Jolie is potentially being eyed for a role, uh, even though he doesn't believe it will necessarily happen. He later stated on Twitter that uh, another name he's heard is Jessica Chastain, uh, which Hmm. could be very interesting. And even though he did not uh, reveal any role information just by looking at the Dark Phoenix saga, that storyline from the comics, uh, it's been pretty heavily theorized that even if it's not Jolie or Chastain, that this role is for the Shi'ar Empire Empress Lalandra, who... In the comic storyline, she is part of the Shi'ar Empire, um, which is heavily involved in the Phoenix Saga. Once Jean Grey kind of takes on that Phoenix persona, she travels across the galaxy, destroys some stuff. They get involved. They want her dead. And then she ends up, like, falling in love with Xavier. A whole bunch of crazy stuff happens. So if either one of these actresses joined, that'd be cool. I don't really see either one happening, but you never know. Yeah, I mean, first of all, you don't eye Angelina Jolie for a role. You beg her Mm -hmm. to take the role. (laughs) But it uh, it sounds like this Shi'ar is like epic and would be a superb opponent to drop. Opponent or ally or, you know, whatever it works. Yeah, to drop in there against Jean Grey. Um, Especially because I do know that I I, I do not want to see this class of X-Men just fight Jean Grey in this next movie. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a lot more to it than a rehash of the final 15, 20 minutes of uh, Last Stand. Right. So this, this 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 could be great. And I, I actually do hope they get Angelina Jolie. Jessica Chastain would be great, but the last film Angelina Jolie was in that I remember is Maleficent. Uh, yeah, I think uh, she was in... Um... Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but she was in like a movie with Brad Pitt, I believe. Like, where they're like in a submarine or something, uh, or on a boat. Hmm. I don't remember, but it was like a year and a half ago or something. Yeah, well, yeah, times have definitely changed since then. So, um, I'd be glad to have her back out there. Yeah, uh, since the whole Bradgelina Julie's Bradgelina split. So, yes, she's a little boost. And if you no, know, I think the thing for Snyder that. Uh, one of the reasons he says he thinks this isn't going to happen is because of potentially joining the dark universe and having that deal signed with Bride of Frankenstein. So uh, it seems like it'll probably be one or the other for Jolie or maybe neither. So hopefully we'll find out more soon as both should start shooting in the next, uh, you know, six months or whatever. So uh, we also moving over to the DC universe. Uh, We got some interesting news this week from the Hollywood Reporter regarding Patty Jenkins and her status for the Wonder Woman sequel. Uh, It was previously reported that she was already signed on to direct the sequel, uh, but it turns out that's actually not the case, and she is not under contract, uh, with negotiations said to start taking place soon. Uh, Patty Jenkins in an incredible position of power currently because Wonder Woman continues to dominate the box office. So... What do you make of uh, this revelation that Patty Jenkins is not already attached to a sequel? Sounds to me like a nervous studio. Uh, I, I think Zack Snyder is the only guy that has had multiple movie deals ready to go um, when he signed contract. Mm-hmm. So 
this doesn't surprise me, but like you said uh, just a minute ago, Patty Jenkins has found herself with unprecedented amount of uh, negotiating power for being able to produce the critically uh, critically acclaimed and um, financial success of Wonder Woman. So, uh, you know, great for her. That's uh, that's all I have to say. Um, yeah. Do you think Jenkins gets a deal that's bigger than just a Wonder Woman sequel, or do you have any sense of what could be next? Yeah, I think she gets a, a much bigger deal than just Wonder Woman 2 because uh, basically the the way it sounds like this, how this happened where she isn't contracted already for sequels because Michelle McLaren was attached to Wonder Woman for a long time. Patty Jenkins was basically just the replacement and you know clearly she hit it out of the park with it and now because she was just basically like the last second replacement almost, they didn't have that language built into the contract where they could option her back for a sequel and for WB's perspective looks it's going to look pretty dumb now in hindsight because it is this huge success and Patty Jenkins could literally get any job she wants right now I believe mm-hmm. and but from Patty Jenkins perspective it's like the way I thought of it immediately was like a player in you know pro sport signing a one-year deal basically or being in a contract year and saying okay well i gotta prove myself so i can get paid big next time uh whether that's like for me and like i'm a big Miami heat fan like james johnson he came to the heat this past offseason on a pretty cheap deal and now he's gonna get like you know 10 million dollars a year this offseason because of how well he played patty jenkins is gonna get basically the same thing because she bet on herself basically whether it was you know on purpose or not i think she will definitely sign back up for one woman too because she loves the character uh, WB would be totally foolish. I think they could they should offer her whatever she wants, whether that's you know ten million dollars plus uh, you know back end options to get money off of the box office performance. Whether it's also giving her creative control, scripting processes, um, final cuts, uh, allowing her to make three other independent films under the WB banner. I think they have to give her all of it to make sure it happens because it would look really really bad for them if after all the success they go well we can't get patty back because right we are either too cheap or you know whatever the case would be yeah could you imagine warner brothers having at least you know uh, uh, the slightest bit of contract dispute and, and you know that and that being seen as uh, as snyder panned you know two movies and was given Justice League. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and Patty Jenkins gets the, uh, does a killer movie and nothing. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hope she gets creative control too because uh, her having the flexibility to be able to take Wonder Woman any way she wants to go, uh, I think is almost a must. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we're probably not going to know what this contract necessarily entails once it does close, but. Uh, depending on what Zack Snyder's future is with the DCEU, I could definitely see it being an option where, okay, you're coming back for Wonder Woman 2, we're going to give you an option for Justice League 2, plus uh, approval that we will finance and distribute your two independent projects. I know she has one that she wanted to make for a while with uh, Ryan Gosling, and then Mm -hmm. I'm sure she has some other idea that she wants to make now, so... uh, Whatever you have to do, WB, you make that happen because uh, it would definitely not look good if she did not come back. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, especially since Affleck's Live by Night didn't do well. I mean, yeah, give the woman whatever she wants. Yeah. 
Especially so, if it has Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, last bit of news we have this week is in regards to Justice League, but also Wonder Woman a little bit. Uh, slight, I mean, it's not slight. I mean, it's spoilers for Wonder Woman, kind of, but not really. Uh, hopefully you've seen it by now. It's already made like $400 million worldwide, so you probably have. Uh, if not, go see it because it's amazing and way better than The Mummy. Uh, but mm-hmm. we got confirmation this week. Uh, further confirmation that Connie Nielsen will return in Justice League, even though that has been previously reported before. But the bigger news was Robin Wright confirming that she is also going to appear. Uh, this came from the LA Times. They didn't give any info on what their scenes necessarily include, but they hinted that you know their sister dynamic will be uh, one of the things that is further explored. Yeah, I mean, I think the direct quote is, uh, or at least one of the words they use is, we're going to see a little more of their history. Mm-hmm. Um, so initially I got excited, super stoked about the lead, but then they said history. And we've been talking about this epic battle that goes on between the Amazons and whatever, um, the, not dark side, but that huge battle that takes place on Earth that we're getting glimpses at is allegedly, you know, prehistoric or, you know, prehistory times. So uh, my gut is telling me it's going to be a look at that more so than actually getting to see Robin Wright, you know, back with Diana and everything like that. Yeah, I think uh, this isn't necessarily that surprising to me because we kind of hinted before that this was something I thought could happen if they were going to bring her back. Uh, And it's good to know that they already basically have that happen. It's not something that's going to be included in the reshoots from what it sounds like. It sounds like they already did film this and it further just makes me believe that this is part of that opening scene that's going to be Justice League where, you know, Rob and I will be present alongside uh, Hippolyta where they're fighting against Darkseid, Steppenwolf, the rest of the Parademons, whatever it is, and trying to get control of Earth, control of the mother boxes, and then that sister dynamic that they're talking about a little bit uh, could be after that battle is over, the Amazonians, uh, Atlanteans, and mankind have defeated the forces of Darkseid the first time. They split them other boxes, take them to their separate regions, and then you see Antiope and Hippolyta discuss, okay, well, what should we do with this mother box? Where should we put it? Uh, you know, What does this mean and all this other stuff? And kind of see that dynamic play out that way. So they see, we got to see some character development from each of them that only further hopefully increases, you know, the rationale behind, you know, why we get to see, you know, Antiope in action uh, again before we see Wonder Woman. And uh, I think it just it seems like a really smart move from their perspective. Yeah, I mean, you take, take, the, take, take your two most popular people or two of the three most popular people right now, mm-hmm. four yeah. most popular people right now. Got to add Pine in there oh, because... Yeah. But yeah, take take those two, toss them in the movie too, and I mean, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm loving it already, man. Yeah, I mean, unless I'm totally wrong and they're like going to resurrect her somehow, uh, which would be a really stupid thing to do. Uh, yeah, I, I would shake my head at it, but also I'd just revel in it because I was like, all right, Robin okay, Wright's back, yeah. let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> That's true. I hate this. Keep going, please. Yes. I need it. Uh, so that's all the news we got this week. That's our episode. Uh, next week we'll be back uh, actually in the same studio for the first time in two weeks so the audio quality should improve uh, any audio lags or whatever should be uh, non-existent um, but we also are going to be reviewing uh, Cars 3 right Josh? 
Yes. Um, and, you know, I was I would think I was, you know, putting dents in their fender a little bit earlier <laughs> about uh, Pixar, you know, having to get on a, a franchise cycle because of they have to do two movies a year and ideas aren't that fresh. But there's a really big Rocky five, Rocky six vibe to this. You know, um, Lightning Queen's just about ready to retire. He needs to get get his groove back, find the eye of the tiger, if you will. So, uh, you know, it could be. Inter- I think it could be interesting. What about you? Yeah, um, I don't. I've not seen Cars two. I've seen the first Cars a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the continuity of Cars three could be totally out of place, and I would have no idea. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really care for this movie. I'm not really that excited for, it. I think the trailers look fine if they do kind of take a more mature approach to it and explore what it means to pass your prime, just kind of growing out of your, your, your prime years and everything. I think that could work. Um, but if it's, you know, not that, and it's just kind of just a kid's movie for kid's movie, then I probably won't enjoy it that much. So, uh, we will see. Yeah, you definitely don't need to see Cars 2. I, I think it almost makes better sense to go from 1 to 3 and just leave the James Bond 2 out of the, yeah. <laughs> out of the conversation. Yeah, so... Do you have anything else? Oh, I was just going to make a joke about... Like, you know, maybe it turns out Cars 3 is a comment on the American economy and the need for retraining in job sectors after indi- dying industries. But I don't, think, I don't think we're going to go that far. You never know. So uh, that's it. That's all we got this week. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, Shadow of iTunes goes a five-star review with comments uh, telling us what we can improve on, what we already enjoy about the show so we can keep you listening and hopefully get other people to listen as well. Uh, so that's all we got. During our time, we'll be sure to play sauce and cover by treatments at Friends and Film where you receive updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can find person on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at just Joshua Ryan. Any last words? Thanks for stopping in, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Fun podcast. We'll be back next week with a review of Cars 3. Cars 3.